for breath in my lungs, for eyes to be able to see, and for a heart to know Jesus. I'm thankful that it is his day with his people gathered around his word. This is a good day. This is a good day. And I realize that maybe some of us have had weeks that haven't been so good, but we can still enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts and his gates with praise. Some of us um, have some family members that are severely ill and in critical condition. David, we're praying for Carol. And uh, you know that, uh, maybe you don't know, but uh, Virginia's daughter, Doris, is also in ICU. And so please pray for her. But God is good, and he is faithful, and he is faithful. I've been so, so appreciative of the last 10 days of prayer. Uh, you've heard some of the testimonies, but I, I just hope that you can understand, if you haven't been able to be a part of that night by night, I hope you get a sense of the reality that God wants to hear our prayers so that he can demonstrate his power in our lives. And maybe we don't see that in the immediate gratification, but I, I tell you, his promise in Matthew 7, 7 is, is real. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So God is good all the time. And so the last few weeks, we've been on a journey together, on a journey to newness. New year, new you. And today is part three of a four-part message. If you've been with us, praise the Lord. You may remember that two weeks ago, we began this journey and we started, we stopped, we wanted to be still so that we could come close to the heart of God and hear that God's heart beats with an amazing love for you and I. You remember that? Yeah, we've been, we've been hanging out in John 3.16 this whole time, and I hope you're not getting tired of that, all right? Because God, God's heart truly does beat with a heart of unfailing love. And I know, just like the next guy, that, that life with its twists and turns, that life with, with, with its bumps and bruises, with the everyday, it is easy for the everyday things to drown out the heartbeat of God's unfailing love, but his heart is still beating for you. Amen. It is still beating for me. And so that was week one, hearing the heartbeat of God. Last week, we held up the mirror of God's word, and we wanted to see the heart need of humanity. And we saw, sure enough, that sin is more complex than we often think. It's deeper than we often think. It runs DNA deep to the very core of who we are. But just as sin is complex... Salvation is complete. Amen. And so, so we, we, we saw the reality that when John 3.16 says that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, we saw the reality, yes, we are on death row. Naturally, we are destined to death, but by the grace of God, we don't have to be. And so today and next week, We'll be taking a look at the last little part. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but, only three letters long, but huge significance, but have everlasting life. We don't have to be on death row anymore. We don't have to live in the depths of sin and its depravity. We can have life in Jesus. And so today, living the life in 
Christ. That's the resurrected life. That's what we want. That's what we want to be fixated upon. And so with that focus in mind, we've got three questions, uh, three simple questions that will kind of guide our study today. Three questions that will act as waypoints along our journey to newness. Question number one, what is eternal life? What is it? So question number one, what is eternal life? Question number two, what does it look like? So we want, in question number one, we want a general definition. In question number two, we want a more detailed description. What does the everlasting life look like? And then in question three, how? How can I live that life? We want the practical prescription, all right? So we're going from definition, description, to prescription. I like these little rhyming sounding things. I hope you are okay with that, okay? It's, a, it's an educational tool for me. It keeps me going. All right, so those are our three questions. And with that in mind, let's bow our heads together. Jesus, we've got three questions, but one desire. We want you to live out your life in us. So please, as we come to your word, we come trembling, knowing that it's the very word of the living God. These sacred truths, we ask that the Holy Spirit would teach to us, not just to inform our minds, but to transform our lives. That's our desire today. And we know you'll answer because we've prayed in Jesus' name. Let the family say, Amen. I believe that today, God is going to do something. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. I mean, seriously, it's God's day. <laughs> and it's God's house, and it's God's people. He's not going to waste our time. God is going to do something. I have prayer partners sprinkled around this continent uh, who are praying for this message because someone is going to make a life-changing decision today. And so, if you're a prayer partner in our midst, please pray that God's Holy Spirit would have his own way. Are we in agreement together? Yeah? All right. Sweet deal. Let's go to John 3. John 3, you're already there. John 3, and we'll just read verse 16. John 3, verse 16. You may not even need to read it. You may be able to recite it. Let's see it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Remember, question number one, what is everlasting life? What is it? What's the definition? If I were to ask you, and this is okay, it's an okay time to respond. If I were to ask you, what comes to your mind? What one sentence definition would you give for everlasting life? To live forever. All right. Anything else come to mind? Say it again. Life never ending. And I heard something over here. To know God. Whoa. All right. Now you're getting ahead of me. All right. Okay. No death. Okay. Good, good. All right. So everlasting life. When you think about it, it's life that lasts forever. It's a duration of existence. But is there more? And I heard someone say it, to know God. What, when John is writing uh, this, this, this idea that we don't have to perish, we can have everlasting life, what does John have in his mind? Now, it's interesting to me, the thought crossed my mind, why is it that John doesn't say that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but live forever. Why doesn't John just say it like that? Why does he say it? Uh, why doesn't he say that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have an unending existence? Could it be that John has something more in mind? And it's true. In John 17, he records a prayer of Jesus. Go ahead, flip a few pages to the right. John 17. John 17 and verse 3. John 17, verse 3. If you're there, say amen. Okay, John 17, verse 3. And if you're in the habit of taking notes, I recommend it. I recommend it. Go ahead and start taking notes. You may not think that you're... Okay, of course, the Bible is not a coloring book, but if you would like to highlight some of these things just so that when you're flipping through the pages of Scripture, you know where to go. Here it is, John 17, 3. Listen to Jesus' prayer. It says this, And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. Everlasting life is more than just a future hope of living in heaven forever. Everlasting life is not just something way off in the distance. Everlasting life is a present reality of living in a trusting relationship with Jesus. Whoa! That's why in John 3, 16, actually, uh, the Greek verb to have everlasting life, it's talking about a continuous having of everlasting life. It's an ongoing possession of this quality of life in which you're living in a trusting, saving relationship with Jesus. So that's what it is. Question number one, what, what is everlasting life? It's more than a future reality. Obviously, it, it doesn't exclude the future reality of living in heaven, but it's more than that. It's a present reality of living in trusting relationship with Jesus. That's why later on, when John is writing 1 John, in 1 John chapter 5, I think it's verse 11, he says, and God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And in verse 12, he says, he who has the Son has life, and he who doesn't have the Son does not have life. He's talking more than just a, a breath in your lungs and a, and a heart that's beating. He's talking about an existing, trusting, saving relationship with a Savior who loves us. That's what he's talking about. So question one, what is eternal life? It's living day by day in the present in a trusting relationship with Jesus. All right, question two, question two. Okay, we've got the general definition. What's the detailed description? What? What does that look like? <laughs> okay, okay, so everlasting life. It's knowing Jesus. It's trusting Jesus. But what does that look like? What does that feel like? If I were to draw it on a picture, what, what does that look like? And here we're going to go to some of the writings of Paul because he gives us a little bit more of what it really is. There are two prime examples. I, I think we only have time to go to one passage, maybe two. But we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, all right? Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, it's in the New Testament. You've got your four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And you've got Romans, and then First and Second Corinthians. And right after the Corinthians, it's Galatians. When you're there, say, Amen. 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 All right. You beat me to it. Okay. Galatians. We're going to Galatians chapter 5. Again, if you're in the habit of, <clears throat> excuse me, habit of taking notes, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, all the way to 23. Galatians 5, verse 16 through 23. 
Paul says, by the power of the Spirit, he's writing this to the, the believers in Galatia. He says, I say then, walk in the what? In the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, now I want us to follow something. Sometimes the best way to really get a grasp of something is to set it in contrast to something else. Okay, so if we want clarity about what does eternal life look like, what does life in Jesus really look like, Paul is going to start breaking down a contrast. If you want to make a list on paper, or if you just a list in your mind, he's going to make a list of things called life in the flesh, and then he's going to make a list of things called life in the spirit. Okay, so he's going to allow us to see what life in Jesus looks like by seeing what it's not and what it is. All right, so let's keep going. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are, what is the next word in your Bible? Contrary to one another, so that you, not do, you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That is the condemnation of God's law. Verse 19, now, okay, now he's going to just get really, just point blank. This is what it is. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, oh boy, he keeps going, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, and on and on. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is heavy. But praise the Lord, there's another life that's possible. Verse 22. But, again, Three letters long, but that's a huge word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is no condemnation against those kinds of things. So here Paul is setting up the contrast. All this litany of wickedness, rebellion, evil. And then over here, the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know what the life in Christ looks like, and you see the contrast, and I would wager if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but, but I would wager that that list, that contrast does not surprise us. In broad strokes, if we were just to kind of make a general, you know, just this is how it is, that this is how it's not, and this is how it is. In broad strokes, life that's not in Christ, that is life in the flesh, that's negative, right? I mean, in very broad strokes, that's, well, you just don't want to be there, right? I mean, we don't wake up and get out of bed and say, I want this kind of life. And so in broad strokes, life out of Christ is very negative. Life in Christ is extremely positive. Love, joy, peace, this is what we want. These are the ideals. This is that, that holy, uh, godly ideal. While on this side of things, it's that unholy and ungodly uh, standard of things. That, that's not what we want. 
But I wonder today, maybe this doesn't surprise us. Maybe this contrast is like, yeah, of course, that's been ingrained in my mind since, since I was yay high, you know? But maybe that's not a big deal. But what if the Bible tells us a little bit more about this side of things? Can we go to one more text? Actually, we're going to go to several, but regarding this idea, <laughs> let's go to Philippians. Philippians. Okay, so you're going to flip a little bit to the right. You've got Galatians, and then Ephesians. Right after that is Philippians. Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Now, if you're still getting familiar with Scripture and knowing how to, to find your way in the different books, uh, in that New Testament, you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And, and some, a friend told me, go eat popcorn. Right? G-E-P-C. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, here we are. Philippians 3. All right. Philippians 3. Do you remember who's writing this letter? It's Paul. Same guy. The Apostle Paul. Now I tell you, Paul has a story. Right? Y you know his story. God literally knocked him off of his high horse. <laughs> literally turned his life upside down. Amen. When he gave his life to Jesus, when he began trusting in Jesus, he went from one side to the other. But notice how he describes that old side. Philippians 3, starting in verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Verse 5 circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Wait a minute. What side, what list was he just writing on? It was the flesh side. That didn't sound like rebellion. That didn't sound like gossip. That didn't sound like evil and lewdness and fornication. That sounded like righteousness. That sounded like godliness. But he was saying that even that kind of life can still be lived in the flesh. Is it possible to try to do the works of the Spirit but still live in the flesh. And so Paul says, be careful. <laughs> because if you have confidence in the flesh, hey, I've had confidence in the flesh. And that didn't work either. And so we're, we're dealing with this question, wait a minute, what, what does eternal life look like? What does the life in Christ look like? And we're trying to set the contrast, well, it's not life in the flesh, but it is life in the spirit. But wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how are we, there's a big problem here because if life in the flesh can look like life in the spirit, then how are, we, how are we supposed to be able to detect the difference? Where's the contrast? It's got to lie a little bit below the surface, wouldn't you say? So life in the flesh is not necessarily your blatantly wicked acts, your blatantly rebellious life. Of course, it can be manifest in that way. But it can even be the apparently righteous life and the apparently godly life when 
It's lived apart from a trust in Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. When I was Saul, I was doing all the right things from the wrong source of trust. I was trying to do heavenly things by human power. Oh, let me say that again. <laughs> he was trying to do heavenly things by human power. Mm. And so that, even that, is life in the flesh. And so if we're, if we're trying to understand what life in the Spirit is, what life in Christ is, then it must be the righteousness of Christ that springs from a trust in Christ. And that's what Philippians 3 goes on to describe, a righteousness that is by faith apart from the law. Oh, man, this is deep. <laughs> now, now, before we go on to question number three, how, how can I have this life? How can I live this life? I, I want us just to examine a little bit more the implications of what we're talking about. And, and, Okay, so we're going to need to go to two more texts. Are you ready for this? All right. Uh, if you want, let's find them both at the same time so we can just flip, okay? Um, the first one is 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. So put a finger there. If you have 1 Timothy, by the way, if you're still navigating the scriptures, all the T books, they're in the T zone. They're all clumped together, and they come right after go eat popcorn, Okay. So after go eat popcorn, it's the T-zone, and it's all in alphabetical order. First, Thess First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. Okay, so you got your T-zone. So go to First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. First Timothy 6, verse 12. You got a finger in that, bookmark in that. Now find First John, First John chapter 5, verse 4. First John chapter 5, verse 4. And that's further to the right. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. All right, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Okay, so we've got our finger in two places. 1 Timothy 6, 1 John 5. 1 Timothy 6, 1 John 5. All right. Now we're still trying to figure this out. What does life in Christ look like? What does life in the Spirit really look like? Because on the surface, on the surface, it's hard to tell the difference. All right. So in 1 Timothy 6, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this. Fight the good fight of what? Of faith. Fight the good fight of what? Notice what Paul didn't say. Fight the good fight against sin. Paul didn't say that. Fight the good fight against temptation. Paul didn't say that either. Fight the good fight against all those struggles in your life. Fight the good fight against your finances. Fight the good fight against your uh, impending divorce. Fight the good fight against your, your un uncontrollable tongue. Paul didn't say that. He said there's a good fight, which means there's also a bad fight, right? A fight you don't want to pick. Have you ever tried to fight sin? 
and you know what it's like to get beat up. Have you ever tried to fight Satan? You know what it's like to run. Paul is saying there's a good fight. The fight we need to be engaged in is the fight of faith. What are you talking about? It's this simple truth that when I learned this, it blew me away. That when sin comes my way, when a struggle comes my way, it's not my fight to fight that head on. My fight is to trust in Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Have you ever had a hard time trusting in Jesus? Yes. <laughs> it's like being in a ring and you've got your, your tag team teammate over here, but you're not tapping out to let him fight. The fight of faith is saying, look, look, I, I can't do anything about this, and so I'm going to focus all my energy on trusting that Jesus is going to take it for me. <laughs> and Paul says that's a good fight. That's the good fight. That is the only fight we can do. That's why in 1 John, flip to the other spot, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, he says, For whatever is born of God, that is, whatever's been born again, whatever has the new life, overcomes the world. Praise the Lord! The new life in Christ is a victorious one. But notice the key of victory in the next phrase. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Not our playing hero against sin. It's not our, stri our striving and our struggling. That's not, not going to overcome the world. So in other words, the everlasting life, the life in Christ, the life in the Spirit is a life that says, I will trust Jesus to make me victorious. Now, this has to be nuanced a bit because I think some of us are saying, okay, yeah, yeah, that's old, that's old hat. You know, I, I've heard this, yeah, whatever. But, but there's, a, there's a distinct difference between thinking that Jesus is going to be your divine assistant and thinking that Jesus is the only one that can take the battle. But there's a huge difference there. And so now, praise the Lord, by the grace of God, I have come to the habit of when I find myself in those struggles, when I find myself hit, whether it's by, I mean, you, you can name the list, you know? When I find myself really battling things out, I've got to stop and say, no, that's not my fight. <laughs> my fight is to trust that he will fight. You've heard this thing called willpower. Willpower? Willpower? If, if, there's a, if there's a good fight and a bad fight, I think that there is a right way to use the will and a wrong way to use the will. We're not talking about willpower. We're talking about the will to, to place our will in His power. <laughs> Actually, you know, there's a familiar book, Steps to Christ, Pages 47 and 48. Amen. Powerful, 
powerful, actually, I wrote it down. Okay, let's look at this. <laughs> Steps of Christ. She talks about this. She makes the distinction between the right exercise of the will and the wrong one. 47 to 48, this is the end of chapter 5. If you have the book and you don't have the, the page numbers, it's at the end of, of the, the, the chapter called Consecration. She asks this question. Well, she says this. She says, now this is long, but stick with me, all right? <laughs> it says, many are inquiring, how? How am I to make the surrender of myself to God? Now tell me if you resonate with this. You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, controlled by the habits of your life. Your promises and resolutions, resolutions, <laughs> your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. Now notice, she's not going to talk about willpower in the sense of, when sin comes my way, I can... That's not what she's talking about. Listen, listen, listen. The true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Implication, there is a wrong action of the will too. It's not victory by force. It's victory by faith. Okay, I'm reading on. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot give yourself to God. You cannot give to God its affections. But you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your will. That's the right exercise of the will. Reading on, he will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Quoting from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Thus your whole nature will be brought, oh boy, let me do this. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him through the right exercise of the will an entire change may be made in the life. You want this new year to be marked by a new you? Depends on the right exercise of the will. Uh, maybe I'm not alone, but I'm so familiar with the wrong exercise of the will. All right, she keeps going. By yielding up your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power that is above all principalities and powers. You will have strength from above to hold you steadfast, and thus, through constant surrender to God, you will be enabled to live the new life, even the life of faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, that's, that's worth memorizing right there. <laughs> and so here it is. There's a good fight and a bad fight. And too many of us are, are really experienced at fighting the bad fight. There's a right exercise of the will and a wrong one. And too many of us are experts in the wrong exercise of the will. We could be personal trainers in the wrong exercise of the will. But Jesus is calling us not to have more willpower, but to place our will in his power. Not to try to do heavenly things by human power, but to 
except to do heavenly things by heavenly promises. God is good. So question one, what is eternal life? It's living in a day-by-day, trusting relationship with Jesus. Question two, what does it look like? Well, it, it can look a lot like living in the flesh. It can. But truly, it is the righteousness of Christ that springs from the power of Christ. It's the good fight, not the wrong one. Question three, if it's through constant surrender, this naturally leads us to question three. Okay, how, how, how can I live the life in Christ? I mean, where can I go? Is there, is there a kiosk at the mall for that? <laughs> like, is there a booth that I can go to and say, yeah, I want that. How do we do it? How can I rid myself? How can I move myself from, from, from operating in one realm of life in the flesh to operating in life in the spirit? Well, Ellen White already alluded to it. Stuff to Christ. It's by constant surrender. And we've got two more texts, I promise. This is the, these are the last two. Two more texts. And let's find them both together. Galatians 5 again. Maybe your finger is still there. Galatians 5, verse 24. And then the last one will be Romans 6. So we're going to Galatians 5 and then Romans 6. If you found Galatians 5, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. Excuse me. So you've got a finger in Galatians 5. Now we're going to Romans 6. Romans 6. Two bookmarks. Galatians 5, Romans 6. Galatians 5, Romans 6. When you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right. How? Question three, how can I live this life? I want it. I really do. But how? Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. This is right after the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes, And those who are Christ's have done what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Whoa, 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 preacher. (laughs) You're getting all masochistic on me. Okay. What are you talking about? Crucified the flesh. No, we're not talking about a physical, literal crucifixion of the flesh. We're talking about putting to death this old life. Do you realize that the life in the flesh is not a life to be resisted? It's a life to be crucified. Now that's a very stark picture. A life and death picture. Paul, what what are you saying? Have you ever noticed that there's no such thing as self-crucifixion? I mean, I don't recommend you try, but think about it. Someone else needs to do it for you. You and I can't. Let me say it again. You and I have no ability to crucify the flesh. But Jesus does. That's why in Galatians 2, actually just a couple chapters earlier, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And the life I live, I live by faith. And the Son of Man, who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, it's all coming together. Okay, so this, this crucified life, if I can't do it, 
and Jesus does it for me, then what, what do I do? <laughs> Where do I go? How, how can I have that flesh crucified? Now, Romans 6 is going to give us an answer. Do you want to see it? Yeah. <laughs> now, it might sound simple, but it's significant. Go there, Romans 6. How, can we, how do we get crucified? How do we crucify the old so we can live the new? Romans 6. You're waiting to hear the verse, huh? <laughs> it's verse 4 and 6. Romans 6, verse 4 and 6. Therefore, Paul says, we were buried with him through what? Baptism into death. How can someone... How can someone crucify the flesh? How, do we, how are we crucified with Christ? Paul says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Let's keep reading, because this is power. Okay. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. John might say everlasting life. The resurrected life. Now verse 6, skip down. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The answer is simple, but it's significant. How, how do I crucify the flesh with its passions and desires? Paul says, baptism. Paul says, baptism. Why baptism? What's so special about these, those this tank of water back here? What's so special about this that it can crucify the flesh? There's nothing so special about the water. It's what that water signifies. It's a grave. It's a grave. If you've seen someone get baptized, they go down, but they don't stay down. They come back up. And have you ever noticed... That it's not like they put someone down and, and their hand is up here or their ear is out or their cell phone is out or their computer is out. Or, you know, <laughs> it's everything. Something that's so symbolic about or what's so significant about the symbol of baptism is that it's the whole person being submerged, baptized, dunked, surrendered. Because this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. It's victory not through struggle. Victory through surrender. Huh. So baptism. That's what it is. It's a complete and constant surrender. That's what it's pointing to. And that's the crucifixion of the flesh. But guess what else? It's the resurrection to the newness of life. Praise God! <laughs> and that's for you and that's for me Amen. through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the question today is, well, I guess there, I can ask it in several different ways. Have you surrendered everything to Jesus? Have you noticed the song doesn't say, I surrender most of myself. 
I surrender just what everybody else can see in my life. That's I surrender all. All. That's what baptism is. That's what baptism is. So the question is, have you surrendered? And if you haven't, why not? Why not now? The other, the other way I can ask that question is, have you been baptized? Maybe I should ask it like this. Have you let God crucify, bury your old self so that you could live in newness of life? And if you haven't, why not? And why not now? Now, I'm not saying that there's water in this tank that I'm just going to dunk people in right now. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But I really, I just want to extend this appeal. If you've been saying to yourself, I want this new year to be marked by a new me, and you've come to recognize that that can only happen through entire, complete, constant surrender, and you've never walked through the waters of baptism, you've never actually crucified the flesh or let God crucify the flesh so you can walk in newness of life, then I'm just, I'm just opening it up today. If you want to be baptized, we want to help you. We want to walk you through this watery grave. You know, I was looking at the calendar and just looking at, uh, you know, Easter weekend. It's resurrection weekend, uh, the end of March. March uh, 29, 30, and 31. That's, that's, what better way to celebrate the resurrection of Christ by having some resurrection services? <laughs> you know, if, maybe, maybe you're not ready to get baptized immediately, but maybe you want to say, yeah, I'll set a date. Because I want to surrender all. If that's you today, maybe you're a young person and you've been, you've been coming to Sabbath school, you've been coming to Pathfinders, whatever, you know, you've been exposed to these kinds of things and you're saying, yeah, yeah, this is, this is the life I want. And you're saying, I want to give God everything. Please, just make the decision. We want to support you in that. We want to cheer you on in that. Maybe you're a young adult. Or, or, or a young parent with young kids, and you're realizing, look, I want to I wanna pass something on to my children that I can be enthusiastic about. I, I don't want to pass on just a form of godliness. I don't want to show them how to fight the bad fight. I don't want to pass on the wrong exercise of the will. I want to show them complete surrender and maybe the way to most clearly and objectively do that is to be baptized. To, so that they can say, oh, I see it. Burial, resurrection, amen. Maybe you're in your more mature, more seasoned years. You've been in these pews or other pews for a long, long time. Maybe you've been baptized. And you realize that, that it wasn't complete surrender. It wasn't entire surrender. You've been fighting the bad fight this whole time. Is it possible that God may be prodding your heart? Why not be rebaptized? Is it possible? 
And maybe rebaptism isn't your answer. Uh, maybe, you know, the next time we have communion service and, and we get to do the foot washing again, let that foot washing be a rebaptism of your soul. Maybe you're saying, okay, okay, you know, these outward things are nice, but, well, you know what? Romans 6 has an answer for you too. In Romans 6, remember, he's, he's already talking to people that have been baptized. And so by the time he gets to verse 13, he tells them something they can do on a day-by-day basis. He says, do not present your members, that is, your body, yourself, your soul, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So maybe you've been baptized. Then day by day, keep being baptized. In other words, keep being baptized crucified, buried, and resurrected, so that each morning you can stand up to God and say, hey, I'm alive from the dead by the power of Jesus Christ. Does that sound just like too, I don't know, theoretical to you? I mean, that's, that's real stuff. Each morning we need crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And that's what Paul is saying. It's not just present yourselves once as being alive to God. It's keep doing it on an ongoing, continuous basis. And so, three simple appeals today. The daily appeal we've just talked about. On a day-by-day basis, if you want that new, this new year to be marked by a new you, then make it a commitment. I'm going to have a crucifixion, burial, and resurrection every day. And stand before God and say, here I am, alive from the dead because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Maybe that means just taking a minute or two or three or 15 or 30 or 60 each morning reading the story of the cross. Just saying, ha, I'm being crucified, buried, and resurrected through Jesus. If that's you today, if you just want to say, yeah, I I want that daily presentation of myself as being alive to God. If you want that surrender, just, just raise your hand to heaven. Amen. 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 Here's the second appeal. Here's a second appeal. This is more on a moment-by-moment basis. Moment-by-moment. You don't want to fight the bad fight anymore. You want to fight the good fight. And so if that's your desire,